What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. And tonight we're breaking down a Cardinals win as they got back in the W column. The Cardinals did on Tuesday night. 4-1 winner over the Washington Nationals at Bush Stadium. Plenty to talk about from this game with the resurgent outing from Jose Quintana, who pitched very well for the Birds this evening. Got the win after maybe a couple of starts consecutively for Q that were not up to his standard, or at least the standard that he had had been showing since joining the Cardinals. This entire season was an upgrade for him compared to where he had been. Remember last year, he split time between a couple of teams, but was mostly a relief pitcher. And that was kind of a far cry from the Jose Quintana we remember from his days with the White Sox and even maybe the early days with the Cubs where he was a workhorse, innings-eater kind of pitcher and then got relegated to the bullpen for the majority of his 2021 season between Los Angeles Angels and the Giants. But then he really found himself with Pittsburgh. The Cardinals said, hey, we like what we see. Perhaps we can get this guy on board and in our rotation when we're desperately needing some help. And he looked good to start out his time with the Cardinals, and I'd say tonight was another step in that direction after having a couple games that were maybe not up to par. So good to see tonight from Jose Quintana. We'll talk about his outing as he got through five innings, didn't walk anybody, kept the Nationals for the most part off the base paths, and was able to secure his fifth win of the season to improve to five and six. We'll also talk Nolan Gorman. How about Norm? Big day for him offensively helping to carry the Cardinals in this 4-1 to win. Talk about how he was the engine that could for the Cardinals offense. And we'll give the shout-outs to some of the other players. Not a huge night offensively for the team with just four runs, but we'll talk about some of the performances offensively as the Cardinals collected eight hits on the evening. They got back even in this series with Washington after taking the loss in the Jack Flaherty game on Monday. Also talk about something new that the Cardinals did tonight that I very much appreciated because I am all about Hell's Bells watch for Ryan Helsley, the Cardinals closer. And I think they have followed in the footsteps of what they've seen teams like the New York Mets doing with Edwin Diaz and his Timmy Trumpet narco song, which I do love, by the way. The entrance music and, and adding a little bit of extra pizzazz to it. I think the Cardinals followed in those footsteps with what they did for Helsley tonight. And I hope that's something that could stick around for the long haul. So all that and more coming up on this edition of the show. And you know what? If you hear in the background a music box and a crying baby, that's because both of those things very much exist now in my basement. So bear with me. Appreciate you guys for being with me as always. Uh, if you missed the talk of the introduction of Gabriel Brendan Schaefer, my son that was born on Friday, to the world, you can scroll back on your podcast feed for B-Shape Daily. We had a real quick, short episode last night because it was all I could muster between the not sleeping and what have you. But check that out, just 10 minutes or so, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to more full-length episodes here this week. Bear with me a little bit, though. I can't imagine that I'll go too long. Maybe no 40, 45 minutes episodes for this week because I'm recording this right now. It's because the baby's being fed, and that's the... Only thing I can't really help out with. So we're going to dive into this episode of the podcast and dive into strictly Cardinals baseball. But if you want to hear some baby talk, there's a little bit of that yesterday. I want to remind you guys real quick, though, before we dive into the content of the show, 
that you can subscribe to V-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. There are other places as well. Head to anchor.fm slash vshafer12. Click on the More Platforms tab to find all the locations where V-Shape Daily can be found and heard. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so in a couple of ways. My Twitter account is linked to Venmo and Cash App. I'm at vshafer12 if you'd like to support the show over there. Or you can join the Patreon and on a monthly basis, support V-Shape Daily. And the link for that is patreon.com slash, you guessed it, V-Shape 12. So check that out if you're interested, if you're digging the show. I'm digging the fact that we're back doing the show after a number of days on hiatus. So let's rock and roll right into it here. Talking to 4-1 Cardinals winner from Tuesday night. I like seeing what we saw from Nolan Gorman. You know, that was the big standout to me. He comes up with a home run, a two-for-three night with a couple of RBIs for Gorman. And Brendan Donovan had another big swing as well to help pace the Cardinals in this game. I have continued to talk about how much I've loved the top of the lineup, particularly when the Cardinals are facing right-handed pitchers. It's typically been Lars Newtbar and Brendan Donovan at the top. Now, what happened, though, was I missed five or six days in a row, and... You look up and go, oh, what's going on with Newt? Over his last seven games, not as strong for Lars Newtbar. 071, oh, pardon me, 091 on the batting average for Newt. Two hits in 22 at-bats. Now, both of those hits have been home runs. But the batting average below 100, the on-base below 200, and he's slugging 364. Cardinals would like to see that turn around, but that's just a seven-game slump. He even looks still over his last 15 games, even despite how badly the last seven have gone. Newpar's still in that 750 range for OPS over the last 15 games. So not panic mode just yet, but that's a guy who we've been singing his praises and things have been going fantastically for Lars Newpar up until the last week or so. And uh, the OPS for the season is still 791. So, I mean... You'd take that at the end of a year for Lars Newpark, given the quality defense he plays in right field. But just something to keep an eye on. He was 0 for 4 tonight with the two strikeouts. But hey, still up there at the top of the lineup, Brennan Donovan uh, had a big swing. Just one for three, but the home run that he came up with there in the fourth inning not only started the rally, so to speak, where the Cardinals put together three runs in that frame to take a lead that they would not relinquish, but it was also big for Brennan Donovan because he's another guy that if you look real quick, over his last week or so, numbers have been down. 160, even with that home run that he hit on Tuesday. 160 batting average on base, 222, slugging 280, just four for his last 25. So those are two guys in Donovan and Lars Newpar that, boy, if those engines aren't going at the top of the lineup, you, you kind of revert back to where the Cardinals' offense had been earlier in the season where, yeah, they would have their games, but you were worried about the consistency of what this group could do on a night-in, night-out basis and hopefully that's not the trend moving forward. Hopefully you find Newtbar and Donovan catching their stride once again the way they had been there for a good long while, pacing the top of the order for the Cardinals. And I'm checking out Brendan Donovan's season numbers, even with the little bit of a lull he's in, still on base of 391 for the season. So an on-base guy that you like at the top of your order, just in a little bit of a funk right now, but he came out of it with that home run tonight. That was helpful for sure, as the Cardinals needed some runs there get on the board in the fourth inning after Jose Quintana. He gave up one run in the second and was clean otherwise. And by scoring in the fourth there, they put him in position to be the winner 
tonight. We'll talk a little bit more about the offense, though, before we get into the night for Quintana and then wrap up by chatting Ryan Helsley and his new uh, entrance theme was very nice to see. But I'm just thinking about this lineup, and it's going to, in the content of the show, gear itself toward the way we talk about things, October. Because it's becoming abundantly clear to me and everybody who's been watching this Cardinals team in recent weeks that the Cardinals are destined for October, and I'm not just talking about that series in Pittsburgh. October 4th through the 6th, I want to say, is when they'll wrap things up. No, the Cardinals are going to win this division. Right now, they've got their 80th win secured as of Tuesday night, 80 and 56. And the Brewers are now eight and a half games back because they lost on Tuesday. So I'm getting very, very close to declaring this division uh, done and dusted, as my co-host Andy Humphrey would say on the big show, KTGR, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., Columbia, Missouri, mid-Missouri. Check us out on KTGR.com if you don't live in mid-Missouri. But the Cardinals are getting there. I mean, the Brewers have just utterly collapsed. I'm not saying the Josh Hader trade was the end-all, be-all that was responsible for that because if you look at how he has performed since the deal, not so good. Padres haven't gotten the most out of him either. But I think there was a psychological impact that hit hit the Brewers there when they decided the trade deadline as a first-place team to deal their closer. And uh, boy, they lose in extras tonight to the Colorado Rockies. Out in Colorado, we know how tough it can be to play and win there. 10-7, though as the Rockies put up a four spot there in the 10th. Must have been, I didn't watch the game, either walk-off grand slam or uh, they tie it up and then hit a three-run job. One of the two had to have been the case. I think Yelich hit like a 450-foot bomb tonight for the Brewers. Wasn't enough. As uh, they lose another one, they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10. The Cardinals are 8-2. So even with a little bit of a rough loss on Monday to the Nats, a very bad team, they still find a way now to be eight of their last 10. And they're pulled away in this division. You're actually closer, and it's more relevant to be looking toward the East at that race between the Braves and the Mets because those teams are now tied as of this recording. And I've been saying for a long while, if you've been listening, I like those Braves. I think they're tough. I think they're going to pass the Mets. Well, they've tied the Mets as of now, 85-51. and That puts the Cardinals five games behind for the number two seed in the National League. That would be critical. Because if you're not familiar with the new format of the playoffs, there's only two teams, two of the three division winners in each league, that's going to get to the LDS, what we typically have known as the NLDS and the ALDS. The wild card is different now. It's not an automatic entrance into that round if you're a division winner. If you are the third of the three division winners in a given league, the unfortunate sap to fall behind and, and sort of bring up the rear among the leaders of your division you're going to have to play in that wild card round. Now, we know the Dodgers, that's not going to be their future. 93 wins right now for L.A. Cardinals are behind 13 and a half games. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But look to the East. The Braves and Mets at 85 and 51. You're five games back. If the Cardinals could overtake whoever emerges from that NL East, and you hope that they have some games against each other that still remain on the schedule because if they could beat up on one another a little bit. Like, what's hard is you're rooting against two teams right now at the same time. Because the Mets and Braves both have to do poorly for you to catch both of them. And looking ahead, it's going to be not till that very end of the season that the Mets and Braves have another series remaining. And the Mets have a pretty easy schedule. Pirates, Marlins, Cubs, Pirates, Athletics, Marlins again, Nationals. That's got to be the easiest remaining schedule in the league. 
They play three against the Braves, and they play three against Milwaukee. Everything else is just absolute dumpster fire teams the Mets get to face. But you know what? They lost 8-2 to two on Tuesday to Pittsburgh, so they got a doubleheader on Wednesday against them. I'm just saying it's not like that five is not insurmountable. I'm looking ahead, though, more than I'm looking behind if I'm the Cardinals. I'm trying to keep my, my nose to the grindstone and whittle that down to four games, three games, and then next thing you know, maybe that last week of the season isn't so meaningless because, again, if you have the chance to play your way out of an entire playoff round, you've got to try and do it. I know you want to set up your pitching plan best you can, but I would, I would say you're keeping everybody on track, on schedule, ready to go for as long as you can, as long as that continues to be a possibility with the Braves and Mets. Is it likely? No, not really. But the Cardinals have played so well, really since the All-Star break, trade deadline for sure, that they have made this a possibility. So something to keep an eye on. But the Brewers, man, I think they're, I'm not going to say they're completely toast. It's getting closer, though. I told Andy on the big show, after August, if the Cardinals were up nine games, I would declare it done at that point. I would declare the Central, the race to be over. It's not over, but they're now eight and a half games back an entire week into September, which mathematically gives you a much better shot to win than nine games a week ago would have done because you've knocked a whole week off the calendar. I mean, if you look around the game, starting the AL, Yankees, four and a half games up on the Rays. They've really fallen off. New York has. The Guardians lead the Twins by a game and a half in the Central. The Astros are up by 10 on the Mariners in the West. That's the biggest division lead in the American League. The Dodgers, of course, have the largest lead in all of baseball, 19 games up on San Diego out West in the NL. And then, obviously, in the East, the Mets and Braves dead even. They're completely tied for first right now. At eight and a half games, the Cardinals are got one of the biggest leads in baseball in terms of locking down their division. It sort of happened in a flash, but it happened as a result of the way they handled their trade trade deadline, pardon me, and have played really well since then. Part of that trade deadline was Jose Quintana, but I want to run through the offensive numbers a little bit more for the Cardinals. Again, because I'm catching up to some of this after Friday, baby born in the hospital, had been in the hospital since Wednesday, and finally got to go home Monday, September 5th, Labor Day. So I missed a lot of stuff. In fact, we'll talk about this. Dakota Hudson threw eight and two-thirds innings for Memphis, not a rehab start. He was sent down for Jack Flaherty. But I didn't even know that until I saw the tweet about him having so much success tonight in Memphis. Didn't even know it. That's why I didn't talk about it at all last night because I was completely unaware of it. I literally just saw it Tuesday. I missed so much stuff. I missed that the college football playoff had uh, is going to officially expand to 12 teams in 2026. It took me a whole day to see it. I'm excited to talk about, like we did a whole big show two-hour radio show where we talked plenty of Cardinals baseball today on Tuesday. Didn't even bring up Dakota Hudson because I legitimately didn't know it. So we'll have a good laugh about that on Wednesday as we can poke fun at me and my uh, my lack of sleep. But as I mentioned, because there are some things that I have missed, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking over these box scores to catch myself up. Paul Goldschmidt, yeah, he's falling off the pace a little bit. Still my MVP. 1028 OPS for Goldie. But not what it was, right? He was in that that 1040, uh, maybe even pushing 1050 range there for a little bit. And you take a look at his numbers, still hitting 329, 34 home runs. He's been stuck on that number a little while. 
107 runs driven in. Over the past week, just hitting 208, past seven games. What's funny, though, is still a 387 on base. Just hasn't had really the slugging. Just one homer in the week. And so the slugging is 375. But you add that up, that's still a, what, a 750 OPS for Goldie over the past week where we say, oh, my gosh, he's really been struggling. <laughs> it's like the dude has just spoiled us so much that you could even fathom to say that that is considered struggling. What's crazy, though, is his stranglehold on the MVP is just its just a, a lock at this point. Nobody's catching the guy because you look at the rest of the league, nobody's, nobody's making a charge. He's still 100 points better in OPS than Austin Riley at 922. Goldie's at 1028. Arenado's at 919. That's third in the NL. Batting average, still Paul Goldschmidt, although Freddie Freeman closing in. Six-point difference, 329 to 323. Goldie's still got everybody in on base percentage by 11 points over Juan Soto and by a good 46 points over Mookie Betts when you're looking at the slugging percentage. So Goldie's still the man. He's still hanging in there in the Triple Crown race, only two home runs behind Schwarber. He's still got Pete Alonzo licked in RBIs. So he's legitimately still a Triple Crown candidate despite the fact that he hasn't had a great week or so at the play for the Cardinals, but he's put together a one-for-three evening, reached base twice, and the Cardinals win on Tuesday. Ho-hum, another day at the office on base twice, and we're talking about how he's struggling. That's just uh, to illustrate how amazing he has been this season, that that's the conversation we're having. But, you know, part of that is I think you see Newt Bardonovan start to really get it going at the top a little bit more for Goldie, and he's going to deliver. He's going to come up in those clutch situations, but... Over the last week, it's been a little bit of a lull in the table setting, and so Goldie has maybe had a bit of a lull himself in that three spot in the lineup. One for four tonight for Nolan Arenado, scored a run. Uh, Corey Dickerson, dude just keeps raking. It's crazy, the season that he's had. He's up to 289 for the batting average, and that would have exceeded my expectations preseason for him. If I would have looked and said, all right, 270 batter, he's going to have not a huge on base around 310 maybe, but he's going to get you some doubles, and his OPS is going to be about 740, 750. And I would have said that was a good signing for the Cardinals if that's what he was able to, to muster. Well, now he's 289, averaged 757 on the OPS. Another two for three, another run scored. Just keep playing him. I know his defense isn't great, but had a double in this game, contributed offensively. Against right-handed pitching, it's just got to be the way that it is. Like, Dylan Carlson has remained a platoon player, Man, for 2023, that scares the crap out of me because he Carlson needs to be... He doesn't have to be a superstar for this team, but he's got to be better than he's been this year. And you're going to have to trust Dylan Carlson to, to face righties next year. I Like, the alternative is, okay, he can't be a pinch hitter. Like, you got to figure something out. You can't just have this guy be the short side platoon player because I was beating the drum. I didn't want them to trade Carlson in a deal for Juan Soto. Now, granted, if it was Carlson for Soto, I said, yeah, you make that deal. It wasn't. You're giving up Jordan Walker, too. You're giving up Mason Wynn, too. You might be giving up Nolan Gorman, too. That's kind of what the package ended up being for what San Diego had to part with to get the guy. But the name that stuck out was Carlson because it was so prominently discussed that the Cardinals were not willing to include him along with their top prospects. So that's all well and good, and it puts maybe some undue pressure on the kid, but... I mean, he he had the prospect pedigree to be a really good player. 
and for him to be a platoon guy right now is disappointing. The good news is you don't have to worry about it day-to-day if you're the Cardinals because Dickerson has been so good offensively, you're not missing a ton. And you've also been able to to plug O'Neal into center field and and sort of get by with that as well. But next year, that's going to be something the Cardinals are going to have to reckon with. Should they have struck while the iron was hot on the interest in Dylan Carlson, that may be something we talk about for a while to come. We'll see. I'm hopeful that it's just a, a bump in the road for Dylan and he ends up being the guy that uh, can hit 260, 270, can have an OPS in the 775 to 780 range which isn't elite, it's not a superstar, but with the defense that he plays in center field, that's a really good, productive, winning player. It's just not the guy he's been this year. Hitting 240, 702 OPS, but we'll see. We'll see what ends up becoming of Dylan Carlson in the future. O'Neal 0 for 2, had the RBI. He did get the start in center field. I like the way that they're effectively platooning and managing the bench because he does shift over to left when Carlson comes into the game. Pinch hits for Dickerson. Uh, Carlson didn't get a hit, but it, it it gives you your best defensive alignment late in the game in a close game. I like that the, they uh, decided to go that route. But Gorman really was the uh, offensive star for this game. And for the Cardinals, it's important that he can be, that he can be that guy. Uh, I mean, batting down in the seven hole in this lineup tonight, but when you're facing right-handed pitching, like the future for the 22-year-old Nolan Gorman probably needs to be top five, six at the latest in the lineup, a guy that can really... Drive-in runs for you can be a power producer. Just hasn't been too hot as of as of recently. Just the one home run in the past 15 games, and that came tonight. So good to see him get an opportunity and good to see him do something with it. It's been a while since we've seen that from him. Even still, his numbers for the season, 747. I mean, we're kind of poo-pooing a little bit Dylan Carlson's year, but his OPS is 702. Gorman's is 747. He's doing it as a rookie, 14 home runs. I don't think he gets to 20, but he he should get to that 15 plateau. And I think the sky's the limit, and it's only going to go up from here if you're Nolan Gorman. And he fits with this roster, right? Like, okay, if he's a platoon guy, you've got those kinds of guys as well that he can mix and match with. But he gets the the big side of the platoon because there are more righties that you'll see throughout the course of a season than lefties. But love to see that from Nolan Gorman tonight. Ends up hitting the double, RBI double, and homering later on in the game in the seventh to give the Cardinals some insurance and a 4-1 win they come away with to get that 80th win of the season. Not a huge day for the Cardinals offense. Eight hits, only coming up with the four runs on those eight hits. Not a ton of opportunities with runnings and scoring position. One for three was the team this evening. But hey, you got the win. You beat that part of your schedule that isn't very prominent. The Nationals are not a good team. They're the worst team in baseball. Right down there with teams like the Athletics. And so you got the win. Jose Quintana, good to see from him to sort of bounce back. Didn't get the quality start, and that's been maybe a little bit of a disappointment because I expected him to turn into more of a quality start machine when he came to the Cardinals. He got QSs in his first two starts with the Cardinals, but four starts, now five starts since, hasn't gotten there. But he's really right on the cusp of it. Twice has gone five innings and given up two earned runs. Tonight he goes five innings, gives up one run. And you'll take five and one from the guy that's probably your four, maybe your five now in the rotation with Jack Flaherty returned. That's a guy that every fifth day is going to give you a chance to win. You look at his games. I'll just give you not even the earn run total. I'll give you the run total and then let you know where that differed. He's not given up more than two earned runs in any start with the Cardinals now. And he's had seven of them. Gave up one, two, two, 
and then had a game, had consecutive games where he gave up four runs, but only two were earned in both those games, and then two earned runs, and then tonight, just the one. So that's a guy that if he's at the back end of your rotation, he's going to give you a chance to win. He's not been the innings eater that maybe I thought he could be, but then again, you look previously in his season, he hasn't been that guy all year. Even when he came in with the ERA at 3.5, which now it's at, what, 3.4, uh, 3.41 for Quintana. So his ERA for the season has gone down since joining the Cardinals. Not a huge innings eater, but you know what? For his spot in the rotation, he doesn't have to be. He's helped to stabilize things. I'm not saying anymore that he's necessarily one of my guys I'm turning to in the playoffs. Just because if you get Flaherty back and Montgomery, I think, has a little more upside in the rotation, he can get deeper more consistently which depth is not maybe what matters most in the playoffs because you're going to use your bullpen. You're going to be very careful about that and and aggressive with uh, how far you let your starter go. You're going to yank him earlier than you otherwise would. But I think Montgomery might have the stuff advantage over Quintana when you get to the playoffs, and so we'll see. I've continued to talk about this. If the Cardinals do have to play that three-game wildcard series, it's Wainwright Michaelis for me because it's at Bush Stadium, and you pray that you win both those games because then if you do, you don't have to waste a starter for Game 3, and you can go into the NLDS, which will start on the road in a scenario where the Cardinals are the third division winner. They would start on the road in the LDS, and they could pitch Montgomery Flaherty in whichever order they prefer in the two road games, and then you come back home and you get Wainwright and Michaelis again. And the disparity between home and road for Michaelis and Wainwright has been substantial this season. So that's where I look, and not just this season for Wainwright. That's been the case going back several years. He's just been really, really dynamite at Bush Stadium. You wouldn't want to pitch him anywhere else, not because you don't think he could be a good pitcher on the road, but because you know the numbers will tell you he is just so much better at home. Why would you waste him in a scenario where he's not at his best? You're you're looking for the matchup advantage. You're looking to maximize the roster that you have. That's to pitch Wayno at home, and I would say the same thing for Miles Michaels as well. Just based on what his numbers have been this season, I don't think there's any reason to to get cute with it. And sometimes that might mean later on in the playoffs, putting yourselves in a situation where you might have somebody on full rest, but you're not going to start him yet. You're going to wait, even if uh, it's an inferior pitcher that's going to pitch first. You'd rather do it that way than, say, have a a Michaelis or a Wainwright that you throw early in a road game. They lose the road game, and then you come back home and you have a lesser pitcher at home. You may end up losing both those games, and that's how you lose a series. So I know it's getting a little bit, ahead of ourselves to talk about NLDS pitching lineups and the way they might want to go with things. But with the way the Cardinals have been playing, we know they're in October. Like, even if they did fall off the pace in terms of the division race, they're not missing a wild card at this point. You wouldn't think. The Phillies, they're, I mean, the Cardinals are what? Five and a half up on the Phillies for that last wild card spot? Not even. I mean, the Phillies are the, yeah, 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 the last wild card. I'm sorry. Haven't had a lot of sleep. Yeah, five and a half games up on them. So you figure the Brewers might catch you, but are the Phillies going to catch you too? The Padres are going to catch you too? So I feel like the Cardinals are going to make October. And so we we make reference to uh, how things are going to look moving forward because we expect that it's going to be very relevant to where this team is heading. Oh, a few weeks down the road. Looked up those numbers for Miles Michaelis, by the way. He allows a 189 average at home at Bush Stadium in an opposing 543 OPS. On the road, it's a 704 OPS. And the ERA split 
tells a similar tale. 2.23 ERA at home, 4.41 on the road. So just like Wainwright, Michaelis has been that kind of pitcher this year. I'm looking to get him at home. I'm looking to get Wayno at home in any possible scenario that I can. But Quintana was good tonight. Cardinals are going to ride him the rest of the way every fifth and hope that he's going to continue to give the team those kinds of outings to keep them in games. That's the minimum you've got to do, and then you got to trust the bullpen to back you up. And tonight they did. Jordan Hicks has looked much better recently for the Cardinals. He had two scoreless innings. All is quiet on that narrative front where people said he can't throw more than one inning. Ollie should stop bringing him out for a second inning. It was always hocus-pocus garbage, and uh, if you believed in it, I'm sorry that you're you're looking silly for believing in it because it was never realistic. Over the last seven games, last nine innings pitched, three ERA for Jordan Hicks. So he's been able to bring that down a little bit. And 13 strikeouts as well in his last nine innings. And over his past 15 games, that's where the ERA takes a bump because he had uh, given up some some massive runs there a couple weeks ago. But still the strikeout rate looks good. 24 strikeouts in his last 19 and a third innings. So I like where Jordan Hicks is. Gio Gallegos with the hold tonight. And then let's get into Ryan Helsley as we wrap up the show here on a Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. So with Edwin Diaz and that Narco song, it's the trumpets that play. I'm sure you're familiar with it by now. And I've talked about how the first time I heard it was actually Jock Peterson using it as a walk-up song when he was with the Cubs at Wrigley last summer, last July. And I was like, that is a banger. Like the whole crowd claps along. Evidently, Edwin Diaz had it first. I heard it first with Jock, but whatever. And uh, Timmy Trumpet, the guy who, the artist for the song, has uh, gotten gotten in good with Diaz and went to a Mets game. And I think he played the trumpets live or something one time a couple of weeks ago. So everybody's having a lot of fun with that. But what really made it was like the video and the lighting and the LED, the, the spectacular-thon that became the entrance of Edwin Diaz. And that video comes out and everybody's like, damn, that's really cool. And it was. But the Cardinals have a closer who is A, dynamite, ERA under one for the season. And he's got an awesome kick-ass entrance song, Hell's Bells by ACDC. And even better for Ryan Helsley, Hell's Bells, it's literally like his name. Hell's Bells. They call him Hell's. That is his nickname. And so whenever he comes into pitch, and it's at Bush Stadium, Hell's Bells is playing over the speaker, and you know it's coming because the bells at the beginning of that song are just so badass. It's fantastic. And the Cardinals decided to get in on the train here. I'm always tweeting Hell's Bells, but I don't spell it like the song. I spell it like Hell's, H-E-L-S, and then Bells, the way that would normally be spelled. And the Cardinals got in on the fun, and I love seeing the video of this. Uh, Haven't gotten back to Bush Stadium yet since the kid was born, but we'll get there soon enough. But I did see the video where the red LED lights just cast over the stadium, made for a really cool entrance, and then all the lights can instantly come up and the place is rocking. I my my main takeaway for this is I cannot wait to see that in person in October. Cardinals trying to close out a playoff game in that I mean the place is going to go freaking bananas. I love that the Cardinals did that. I hope they keep it going. I think Jeff Jones tweeted out a, a full video of it and uh, some others that were at the game probably did as well. Check it out if you can find it on Twitter. Really cool stuff. And uh, of course Helsley did his job because he pretty much always does. Got his 14th save of the season, 0.98 the ERA for Ryan Helsley. He has been dynamite for the Cardinals. Really cool to see the trajectory in him develop into the role that he has. Like, now we just know Ryan Helsley, one of the best closers in baseball, but it's interesting to think back the last couple of spring trainings, how he's been 
trying to get in the rotation, but never knew, you know, never really had a chance legitimately. They weren't ever going to give him that shot. But he has settled into first a leverage relief role, and now he is the guy at the back of games. Uh, when available, that's that's the first guy they're going to go to. And, and Gio Gallegos has been good recently as well. ERA down below three again for the season for Gio, 2.82 on the season. And you look over the last 15 games, 0.56 ERA for Gallegos. He has really settled it down after that hiccup in early July. So bullpen's where you want it right now. If Hicks can turn into another kind of late-inning weapon for the Cardinals, that's the the formula when you get into October. Hicks, Gallegos, Helsley, and then trying to figure things out from the left side. Maybe that JoJo Romero can figure things out. You know, we'll see. I don't know about Cabby. He's got sent to Memphis. And as far as I know, he's still there. But like I said, I missed a week. I My brain melted for five days. And then I came back to do this podcast. So appreciate you guys for being with me. That is going to do it for this edition of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe, like I mentioned. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Leave me a rating and a review if you can. That would really be helpful as well if you enjoy the show. Uh, If you don't, uh, just keep that to yourself. But uh, thank you guys so much, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.